Listener Production. Hello, just a warning, this episode involves the discussion of suicide. It's actually amongst teachers in South Korea. One particular parent demanded that a teacher uh, delay her wedding date because the parents told the teacher, if you get married while during the academic year, that you will not be able to pay attention to my child. So please don't get married until my child graduates. And so this is the kind of dynamic that the teachers are dealing with. And this is the kind of dynamic that in the last six years has led around 100 public school teachers to take their own lives in South Korea. 57 of them were primary school teachers. Uh, It included one 23-year-old woman who took her own life in a classroom in July. Um, So since that incident, there's been weekly protests by tens of thousands of teachers across Korea in a country where this type of protest is illegal. The government said that uh, any teacher who participates in this protest during a school day would be uh, participating in an illegal strike. And uh, the Minister of Education had implied that the government would take strong measures and seek legal consequences against anyone who participates in the strike. But the strike went on anyway. Yeah, it's a very interesting story. Jan Fran will be covering that one, taking you to Seoul in South Korea a little later in the show. First, today's headlines with Antoinette Latouf and myself. It is Friday, the 8th of September. Anthony Albanese has been invited to travel to China and meet President Xi Jinping on Chinese soil. And it's the first Australian PM to do so in seven years. So the invite came after the PM met with Xi Jinping's 2IC, and that's Premier Li Qiyang, on Thursday on the sidelines of the East Asia Summit in Jakarta. So, Tom, this is, this is pretty significant. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, as we all know, it's been a rocky road with China over the last five or six years, particularly since uh, the pandemic where they imposed all those trade sanctions on key Australian exports. They've slowly been unfreezing um, those bans on our mm. exports, which is great news for Australian producers. And this is, I think, you know, the biggest piece of the puzzle to be invited to travel to China and, you know, meet meet the big man himself, the president. So I think this is good news. Scott Morrison's been um, vocal saying we shouldn't rush um, this visit to Beijing. But I think Scott Morrison made a lot of big mistakes on China. He created tension where it wasn't Mm. necessary and didn't achieve anything for us. So I wouldn't be listening to his advice on China. Yeah, ditto. And I know that one of the big points of focus, as you mentioned, is the billions of dollars worth of trade tariffs. Mm. Um, But something we're probably not talking about is securing the release of the Aussies who've been stuck in Chinese jails. And so that's among them journalist Cheng Li and also writer and democracy activist Yang Hangjun. Um, You know, I just remember when Peter Grester was in in a Middle Eastern jail, we were talking about it so much. There was so much coverage and so much work about trying to get him released, and rightly so. He's a fantastic journalist, and we just don't seem to have the same sort of investment um, or or discussion even about um, this journalist and writer. Yeah, well, the Cheng Li story breaks my heart. She's got two children growing up without Mm -hmm. her while she's held for years in a Chinese prison with no sense of when she's going to get out. So, yeah, it's a good point. And Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe has given his final speech 
as he hands over to the new governor, Michelle Bullock. My view is that it will be difficult to return to the world in which inflation tracked in a very narrow range. We've talked about him a lot here on the briefing because of the flawed interest rate guidance uh, at the final stages of the pandemic, followed by the record rate hike, which has uh, made a lot of people's lives hell, especially people who took out big mm. loans in recent years. Um, he had some really interesting things to say on his way out in this speech yesterday. He said that house prices are relatively high here because of supply and not so much um, because of interest rates. He said that the inflation targeting strategy, which is the main sort of framework they use to set interest rates, is working. And basically that means they they set rates around trying to keep inflation between 2 to 3%. He said we should stick with that. He said the world's changing and inflation in future will jump all over the place. It won't be as consistent as it was in the past which means the interest rates could come a long way down again within just a few years. So that was interesting. And there was a bit of a veiled critique of the government saying that we need a new independent body separate from the government and the Reserve Bank to help manage our um, economic fiscal policy. Yeah, some interesting bits of advice there. And I agree with him about house prices um, and poor supply. I think that that's a huge Mm. issue, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne. But honestly, Tom, just moving forward, I have not much more to add about the RBA governor, (laughs) Philip Lowe, other than that I look forward to things returning to kind of that normal state of indifference where like not every living room and pub discussion is about the RBA governor. Because when we all know his or her name, it's a sign that things aren't right. So... (laughs) My only advice to Michelle Bullock is um, hopefully people don't talk about you as much as they did um, Philip Lowe. I think that's right. I think when you're going to the pub and talking about the RBA governor, um, things are probably a little bit grim in your financial situation, which is, you know, not the most exciting thing to be talking about on a Friday night. But yeah, this probably will be the last time we talk about Philip Lowe for a while. It was a tough time. Um, the first few years, he, he kept interest rates on hold. Um, so it was kind of chill. And then with the pandemic, it went absolutely haywire and then the inflation challenge. So three very different chapters for him. And I, I, I hear you, that first chapter is probably the place where the RBA governor would like to be and we'd like to be. There are around 3,000 new entries in the latest update to the Macquarie Dictionary, and this is driven by pop culture and the pandemic this time round. So new words include, I love this one, situation ship, hmm. a barbie core, Spicy cough, menti bee, and doom scrolling. Big moves in politics and law also left their mark with teal and coercive control being added. I don't, I don't know what menti bee is. Am I, am I not cool or am I missing something? Menti bee actually stands for mental breakdown. I hadn't heard of that either till I looked into this story. So, yeah, some interesting words there. Barbie core, um, who would have thought? I also, I want to make the case, like I'm all for adding new words as things change, internet culture, you know, obviously the pandemic brought spicy cough, but I also want to make the case for removing words that get thrown around so much, I'd argue they've lost their meaning. So here I'm thinking literally, because millennials and probably in particular Gen Z have almost made it redundant. Like I literally can't, like literally. Um, Also woke which should just mean like uh, an understanding or an alert to racial prejudice and discrimination. And then it moved on and broadened to just to include being empathetic to social issues. And now it just gets used by keyboard warriors and shock jocks to insult or disregard everyone that they disagree with. So I'm like, Macquarie Dictionary, thanks for the new words, but can you consider deleting some? All right. We'll catch you later. 
Jan Fran's up next um, with this story from South Korea. And just a reminder, it does involve discussion of suicide. sound of 50,000 teachers protesting in the South Korean capital Seoul this week. These nationwide demonstrations were triggered by the suicide of a 23-year-old teacher in July. Her diaries have since revealed that in the months leading up to her death, she had been overwhelmed with complaints from parents and fielding late-night phone calls and messages. It's really driven home the role of teachers in South Korea and highlighted some of the pressures that they are under. They've been quitting or retiring from the country's public schools in record numbers. Get this, 12,000 teachers in the past year alone have left their posts, which is a 43% increase from six years ago. To work out why, we're joined by John Lee, who is a journalist in Seoul uh, with Korea Pro, an English-speaking news and analysis website. John, welcome to the show. Can you give us a sense of what these protests have been like on the ground in Korea over the last few weeks? Sure. Uh, The protests have been going on for a few weeks now, but it didn't really get as massive as it did until about a week ago. On Saturday, about 200,000 South Korean teachers gathered in front of the National Assembly. And when they gathered, they demanded better working environments, safer environments for them to work. And a lot of their complaints had to do with the Child Welfare Act, and we'll get to that in a minute. And on Monday, there was a slightly smaller crowd, but also quite significant, 120,000 teachers gathered also to make the same demands. Now, you already mentioned this 23-year-old teacher who Mm. unfortunately killed herself, and this was the catalyst. Now, why she was a catalyst is not exactly clear. There have been many teachers who have been physically assaulted, abused, and um, those who have been harassed with phone calls late into the night. And this has been going on for a very long time, years in fact. But for some reason, this particular teacher uh, struck a chord with their community. And because of this, the teachers have finally stopped just uh, voicing their complaints online and have actually taken it to the streets. Right. So you mentioned that the um, protests have really sort of ramped up in the last week. They'd been happening since July, though. Was there something in particular that caused them to really ramp up in the last week? The reason why it has escalated is because it feels the the movements, the teachers, they feel that their voices are not yet making an impact. Mm -hmm. Well, Is it because the government is not responsive? That's not entirely true. The government is being responsive and it has made proposals, but being the big bureaucratic organization that any government is, changes will be slow and uh, things cannot happen overnight. Unfortunately, life happens quite fast. And since that teacher had committed suicide a month ago, two additional teachers had also Uh, ended their lives uh, since um, that tragic event. And because teachers still feel that they are under siege, under pressure at all times, the movement has just snowballed. So are you saying that two more teachers have taken their lives since the young 23-year-old took her life in early July? So there's been three 
uh, teacher suicides since early July. That seems like uh, an incredibly high number. What's going on here? Why is there such a difficulty in taking on this role? Well, we have to think, uh, consider this particular Korean word, and this Korean word is kapjil. Now, there is no exact translation in English, but it refers to an abuse of power or privileges that come with a position that you get in any kind of social interaction within any sort of power dynamic. For example, if you are a paying customer at a restaurant, because you're the person paying and not the person being paid, you have this sort of a upper hand in that dynamic. And the abuse of that sort of uh, power dynamic is called kapjil. And that is something that has been going on within Korean society for years. And it's something that's been discussed over and over again, but there has been no change. And the reason why I bring that up is because within the teacher-student dynamic, we also have to um, include the uh, the student's parents. Mm. And the student's parents have been a leading cause, or at least as far as the teachers assert, uh, that has caused them a lot of misery. Uh, One thing that the teachers have constantly brought up is a law in Korea called the Child Welfare Law. Now, if you just go off by the name itself, it sounds like a very benign law that will protect the rights of students. However, the teachers assert that the law is worded in a very vague manner. What the teachers say is that even if uh, a child feels ashamed, then the parents can say that this was emotional abuse and they could then start to litigate. They could start to bring lawsuits against those teachers. And they've brought lawsuits against teachers for even the most, uh, I don't even want to use the word offenses, but the most minor offenses. For instance, there was a teacher who was um, sued by the parents of a student because he uh, simply told the students to uh, follow school rules. And because the student was told to follow the rules, this implies, of course, the student was being disruptive. The student said, oh, I don't want to go to school anymore. I feel ashamed. And that brought about a chain of events that eventually ended up with the teacher being sued. And this is just one small example amongst thousands upon thousands. And because of uh, all of these snowballing incidents, uh, teachers feel that they are in a position where they do not have any power whatsoever. In fact, they have so little power that some parents, and this this went viral in South Korean media, one particular parent demanded that a teacher uh, delay her wedding date. Because the parents told the teacher, if you get married while during the academic year, that you will not be able to pay attention to my child. So please don't get married until my child graduates. And so this is the kind of dynamic that the teachers are dealing with. Okay. I mean, that sounds completely unreasonable to me. It is indeed. Is there any indication of the government looking into changing these laws? Because otherwise, why would it? Why would anyone want to go into the teaching profession in South Korea if they feel so constrained? That is the question that the teachers are asking. And yes, uh, as to the first part, the government is finally changing the laws. 
the government said that the Ministry of Education said that they are going to start revising the Child Welfare Act, but they are quite light and specifics. How they intend to change the law has not yet been really specified. They did come up with certain measures. Uh, for instance, I brought up that um, students uh, cannot be taken out of the classroom nowadays. The government is now saying that if a student is being disruptive or if a student refused to put their phone away, then the teacher can take the student out of the classroom. But the teachers are saying that that is not sufficient. For instance, uh, I mentioned earlier that some teachers have faced physical assaults before. I believe in 2021, at least 1,200 teachers had um, said that they were physically assaulted by their students. But what happens is that perhaps there's not entirely the government's fault, but there's also the school administration's fault. Many of these institutions do not actually want to expel these students because of possible secondary repercussions. Even if the student was at fault, then the parents would be able to countersue the school or they'd be able to go online, um, go onto these online forums and complain about or make up excuses or make up fabricated stories about how these schools have been unfair to their child. And so uh, what happens is that even if a student assaults a teacher, the most severe punishment the student can be given sometimes is just to be suspended for a few days, only for the uh, student to return. And when the student returns, they're usually not even uh, sent to a different classroom. And so what happens is the teacher who had been assaulted by that particular student will have to just sit there pretending that it never happened and continue to teach lessons. And this is the sort of thing that teachers have to have been dealing with. And uh, the teachers are saying that the government's proposals are not sufficient. They need more to be done. Yeah. So what happens here? Because, I mean, 200,000 showing up to a protest is huge, especially after being told by authorities that this type of protest that disrupts education is not technically legal. Uh, The last one we saw was just this week. Are they going to continue until some changes are made? What, What do you think? What's your read on the ground? The government is being very careful with the way that it handles this particular protest. Since the UN administration came into power a little over a year ago now, uh, they have taken a very firm stance against a lot of protests. They have been calling um, many different protest groups anti-state forces. They have been uh, returned to work laws that were issued by the president by presidential decree. And there have been a lot of firm pushback by the government against unions. But not against this one, which is very different for this unit administration. And there are a couple of reasons for this. Uh, the teachers who protested on Monday, initially the government said that uh, any teacher who participates in this protest during a school day would be uh, participating in an illegal strike. And uh, the Minister of Education had implied that the government would take strong measures and seek legal consequences against anyone who participates in the strike. But the strike went on anyway. And instead of following through with their threats, the government stepped back. They softened their stance. And part of the reason why is that they are afraid that if the government takes a firm approach toward the teachers... The teachers could then keep coming back to more and more strikes. And the teachers would uh, stop teaching and completely shut down these schools. And what would happen then would that be the parents would eventually turn around and say that it's because of the government's mismanagement of the uh, the protests that have led to their 
children not being able to get a proper education. That would be a death knell for this government. So they're treading very carefully here in terms of how they move forward. They don't want this to turn into a bigger scandal for them. Precisely, because there are also elections coming up in April. And with the general elections coming up, with the potential of this uh, conflagration, as far as the government uh, seems to think, spreading beyond their ability to control, the government is taking a, a very careful approach. That was John Lee there, a journalist from Korea Pro, talking to us about the situation with teachers in South Korea and some really crazy stories there about some of the pressures that teachers are under. Let's hope the protests lead to some kind of change. Hey, and just a reminder, if that story brought up any issues for you and you need someone to talk to, you can call Lifeline right now on 13 11 14. All right, that is it for your Monday to Friday briefing. A huge thank you to our team who worked so hard on the briefing. And we have the weekend briefing for you tomorrow with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who are you talking to? Hey, Tom. Hey, team. We've got another special episode of the weekend briefing, and we're bringing back one of my absolute favourite guests, and that is Lillian Ahenken, better known as Flex Mommy. I have given her the special subject of influence for this conversation and we dived into everything. Anytime I spend time with Flex Mommy, I am just completely blown away by how incredibly clever, thoughtful and hella funny she is. We discussed the commodification of influence and the idea of influencing as a job. We talked about the older concept of role models and how that's evolved over time. And Flex challenged me, and I suppose through me, our audience, to think a bit more deeply about who influences us in our lives and more importantly, why they influence us. That's your weekend briefing. That actually sounds really interesting. That's Flex Mammy with Jamila Rizvi. Hope you enjoy that and we'll catch you Monday. Bye. Listener.